Sam, if there's one thing I've said on this podcast many times before, it's that I love audiobooks. They let me bring my stories with me anywhere I go, and I've listened to audiobooks while driving, cooking, working out, traveling, and even recently, kind of weirdly, well, at the dentist. (laughs) Our sponsor, Audible, can help bring your books with you wherever you go. Right now, our U.S. listeners can get a 30-day free trial of Audible, the destination for audiobooks and podcasts, when they go to audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. On Audible, you can download and listen to thousands of audiobooks, including one that I myself narrated and catch up on all of your reading today. That's audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. And to make it even easier, that link is in the show description. Happy listening! This is the Fantastic Books Podcast. The fantasy and sci-fi book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most loved fantasy series as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Anna and Sam. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And today we are joined with Robin Jeffries, and we are concluding our miniseries covering her book, .exe. I can't believe it. We're at the end of the book. <laughs> Man, what a roller coaster of theories, accusations, and intense plot. I absolutely just love the journey you've taken us on, Robin. Without further ado, we'll get into dissecting things, confirming and maybe putting to rest some of our weirder theories. Yeah. (laughs) We got the whole story now, so there's less doubt as to uh, who did what and everything. All questions were answered, as you kept saying. Yes. So much rumor, so much speculation. We were all over the place. It's fun to point the finger when you're reading mystery. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, so we left off last week with Cadence and Chance freeing Solomon from jail. He asked them to go see Minerva. So they get to the hospital. I wasn't expecting it, but they are not allowed to see Minerva because the EO has a ban on any visitors for her. So that was immediately like a wrench in the plans. Which made sense, too, because she was a victim of like a physical crime. Yeah, it does make sense. I just wasn't prepared for that roadblock when they got there. Yeah. You had a really good description way back of the funeral parlor, but you also had a really good description here of the hospital. So I don't know what <laughs> well, horrible experience you had in hospitals, but <laughs> Chance hates them. So the line says, I hated hospitals. They gave me chills and they stunk with sterility, a chemical cleanliness that lingered on the skin for hours. Great description because I think smells are something that are overlooked in books a lot as like a sensory description. So I appreciated that. I absolutely loved the way Chance and Cadence manipulated the emotions of the nurse in order to kind of get in. <laughs> so the the big yes. plan was for Cadence to cry and be completely inconsolable with remorse about not being able to see Minerva. Mm-hmm. But Cadence can't cry. So <laughs> No, she is she is literally physically incapable of tearing up. She can't do it. And usually she has a pretty firm command on her reactions to things. Mm -hmm. 
So to put her in the spotlight and have her go wild with fake emotion was just very <laughs> comical, and I really enjoyed reading that. It was really fun writing that, too. <laughs> so, I always imagine that was like, that's how we kind of come off to her, is like totally out there and way bombastic. Like, that's how she perceives humans, probably. Oh, that's really good. I, yeah. Yeah. Because I love that she and Chance were having this sort of like spat about him making her go along all these errands. So she seemed already annoyed with him. And then mm-hmm. he asked her to do this thing. And she was like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't. <laughs> like, I literally can't. Like, why are you making me part of this? Yes. And then she just went 200% into the moment when she finally committed to it. And I was yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but it works, thankfully. The nurse allows them to go in for a very quick visit. They lie about Cadence being... As close with Minerva as she was. Yeah, with like, her She own was like mom. a mother to me. Yeah, and yeah. then saying that she's getting deported or leaving for Peresipe and won't be coming back. So Chance like made up a pretty good story on the fly, I thought, mm. for someone who's, in retrospect, probably had to make himself a lot of cover stories really fast, uh, just yeah. like his behavior. <laughs> I know, I gave him credit at that moment because mentally I was thinking about if I was in his shoes and... It just wouldn't have worked. I can't lie. I have no poker face. I would just be like, the nurse said, no, that was it. We got to go. <laughs> yep. Dead end here. <laughs> yeah, same. Definitely same. But yeah, I have a feeling he has talked himself out of situations like that before and into situations like that before, probably. I could definitely see it. It fits with his character very much so. Yes. And so as we get into Minerva's room, she is out cold. She's comatose and cannot interact with Cadence and Chance. However, there's two very clever clues in this interaction. First was the bouquet of wilting yellow roses by her bed. I don't know if that's a clue. Kind is of. Is it a clue? Can we ask you? <laughs> now that we know everything? <laughs> well, what, what may I ask, what did you think it was a clue of? I wrote in our notes that um, so there's wilting yellow roses in a yellow vase. And because Aunt B's always wearing the yellow necklace, which ends up being part of her like murder poison so, weapon. I always felt like I thought it was like a taunt. Yeah, I thought she was doing it as like a, oh, poor Minerva. Get better soon, hun. I'll yeah. come visit you real soon <laughs> and finish the job. I mean, she's not trying to kill Minerva, but. No, well, we find no. out later. We find out later. Accident. Yeah. You know, honestly, it was kind of a, it wasn't necessarily a clue. I'm trying to think about how to say this. It wasn't necessarily a clue in story, but it was more like my own authorial flourish, like homage to the fact that it's like, yes, it is Aunt B. You know, she's, she's, she's in the background doing ah. things like um, there is a word for that, like a literary term for, for like when you throw in little like visual hints. I actually think it's a film term, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. But yeah, so no, it's not necessarily like Aunt B sent the flowers and that's why they're yellow and that's why they're from her. Something like that. Okay. Um, yeah. Just more like yellow is like a thematic kind of yes, thing. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Like a recurring imagery. And there is a word for that. I can't. There is a word. I don't know. <sighs> my, my English professors are all like really disappointed <laughs> in me right now, but I know there's a word for that guy. I just can't think of it. <laughs> Robin, we taught you better than this. It, right? <laughs> I feel like as soon as we hang up the phone call, I'm going to remember. Yeah. Uh, what well. is the edit it in post? <laughs> yeah. Do it in post. Do it in post. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. 
it just won't even line up with the tone to make the turn was <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a robot voice yeah. yeah so back to the clues oh yes the other clue this was the defining moment i knew it was aunt b was when they see the bruising on minerva's neck and there was an imprint of the ring and I yes. was so excited. I was like, no way, no way. I like <laughs> I knew Belinda was sketchy, but I didn't know if she had it in her to be violent. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, I think because so often they were like, Belinda has no motive. It couldn't be her. We should have picked up on that being a huge clue that it probably was her and you were trying to throw us off but mm-hmm. i mean you saw us like flounder about the whole time so yeah i was saying you guys you guys really like honed in on like yeah they're right there's like no way it's belinda she she's totally like has nothing to do with anything and why would she do that and i'm like yeah why would she do that <laughs> yeah tell me more <laughs> very dopey dog about it like yeah no way it could possibly be her <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think at that point we were like, oh no, it's Belinda because of her ring. Like we we finally put that together, which came at the 11th hour. So you <clears> really <throat> did keep us guessing until the last possible minute, which is so fun in Murder Mystery. Earlier in the previous section, Cadence tells Chance that she knows who it is, but she can't tell him yet. Is this what she was referring to? Yes. Okay. Yes. That she was... Certain that it was Belinda, but she didn't know how to break it down because it was obvious that they were very close and that she that he chance thought of Belinda as kind of a mother figure. And then I think I also had a line in there. I'm not sure if it was last in the last section of chapters or the chapters before where she was like, you know, I I think I know who did it, but I can't tell you until I know why. Yes. Yes. I remember that. And that's also because I think she wanted to give chance some kind of reason, you know, where it's like this is going to really change your worldview and your life. And I don't want to just drop it on you with no context. How far ahead was Cadence from us as readers? Like, when did she figure it out? I think she figured it out. Oh, gosh, now I have to think. I'm I, sorry. I <laughs> no, I don't know when I when I actually like pinpointed it in the writing when when she figured it out. I believe it was. Was it when they found those vials? In Dr. Merton's bag? Yes, I think that was it. Okay. Okay. I believe that was when she figured it out. And then she did some more research on like the the crystals and all that stuff. And then she was like, okay, I'm sure this is what happened. The sequence of events and why. And that she's the, the, you know, the woman in the letters and all this stuff. It all lines up. But Minerva getting attacked really threw her off. And that's why she was like, no, I don't know. I don't know yeah, what's going on. Yeah, because then she says, like, I was wrong. Yeah, because she's like, there's no reason for Belinda to attack Minerva. I don't understand. I must have been wrong. Mm. I like that you put it, and I want to talk about it, like, later in the yeah, reveal chapter, but, like, a case of mistaken identity is such a good trope in Murder Mystery, and I, like, didn't factor that in as being a possibility when we were reading. Yeah. We were obviously looking at the clues you and events you had presented as fact when it was like oh well actually Minerva's like a complete mistake like she shouldn't have been attacked yeah so it was like hard to really like parse out what was what yeah so after this major revelation they know that they need to get back to the house right oh yeah Cadence is like time to go right now we gotta hurry hurry yeah (laughs) hustle hustle (laughs) as fast as possible 
Chance is kind of like stuck in this moment because obviously he wants to know. It's very suspenseful. But he has this really good line where he says, I didn't bother asking her who the murderer was. She wouldn't have told me. But more than that, I wasn't sure I wanted to know. I wasn't ready to know. But ignorance would not be an option for long. So I enjoyed it while it lasted. So just like waiting for that shoe to drop of knowing it's going to be one of your friends slash family in the house is a horrible feeling. But yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. Like the truth is coming. So I liked that he finally had some internal thoughts about like, do I really want to know this about my family or don't I? Yeah. These skeletons can't be buried again once they're unearthed. Yes. Yeah. And I think he's kind of thinking more about like, Less about like, oh, what's going to happen to me? And more about like, at large, this is a, a pretty tough situation to be in. Mm-hmm. He's definitely has just been improving the whole book. Yeah. So he's really grown on us. Yay. <laughs> and on the way back to the manor, like as they're zipping along as fast as they can, Chance finds the docu-chip that he had found the night before in his copy of Wind in the Willows. So that scene that was interrupted. Mm-hmm. Which was, so again, so suspenseful because he was like, I found a docu-chip and Cadence had come in and was like, I have something to show you. And then we didn't find out. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I wanted to know so badly. <laughs> <laughs> Hilariously, Cadence is able to like read the, the docu-chip with the drive installed inside her mouth, which I thought, I was, thought a that was great so detail. Yeah. <laughs> it's a snack. I know. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> literally a bite of information. Oh, Stop. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Randomly question about like animanecrons. Can mm-hmm. they change their hardware? I guess like could she uh. install other things into her for future yes. abilities? Yes, she can. And I actually Ooh. bring that up in the second book. Like she has certain hardware that other animanecrons don't, and vice versa. Oh, because of what her past job was and various things that she wanted to be able to do. And that other animanecrons want to be able to do that she has no interest in. That yes, they they are somewhat plug and play, I guess. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yeah, that they're able to modify their hardware. I think is a great way to put it. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Is she going to be able to change? I don't really want to spoil it, but like, does she add anything to herself in the other books? Not yet. Okay. Because that that's that whole system's been so disrupted by the war. Oh yes, that makes sense. That's that's also a, a little unusual for them is that they're kind of stuck where they're at at the moment because like their production lines have been cut off basically. Oh. So they're all sort of in a holding pattern with what they got. I was about to say it almost brings them on the same playing field as a human. Like you can only work with what you have. Yeah, you can't yeah. change your yourself around. I like that. I like the limitations of that mm-hmm. and the, sort of the real world consequences. That's cool. We don't find out what Cadence is reading, but right at the end of the chapter, you hit us with like great suspense because Cadence says, I think Desdemona may be in danger. And then Cadence just says, like, I hope we can get back in time. And Chance says, in time for what? And then <laughs> Cadence says, to stop her murder, which ba, 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 ba. totally like if that was a TV show, the episode would end right there. Yep. <laughs> yes. I have been trying to write a book and I'm having trouble ending the chapters on like cliffhangers that make you want to immediately go to the next one. So Mm -hmm. that's been like a really good theme throughout your whole book. So I appreciated that right at the end of like, oh, God, we can't stop now. We have to go all the way through. (laughs) Yes, the momentum is like intense. 
We were reading really fast when we got to this. We had to go back and read it a second time because we like flipped through as fast as possible and mm-hmm. sped read the first time because we had to know. Thankfully, as soon as they arrive, they get there pretty quickly. Cadence is shouting for Desdemona and Solomon says that she's out in the gazebo. And so Cadence just dashes off with Chance a little bit in tow, sort of behind her. <laughs> yes, and phenomenal moment here where instead of just like confronting Belinda, Cadence pulls them into like the bushes mm-hmm. and classic stakeout yes classic stakeout <laughs> moment <laughs> yes They're like watch it play out what's gonna happen and sure enough the beautiful serpent strikes <laughs> <laughs> belinda starts trying to choke out desdemona in a python grip strangle <laughs> I like the snake imagery you have going on. Yeah, yeah. this is excellent. <laughs> I'll do your PR. <laughs> and so, you know, this whole altercation is taking place. Chance jumps in to find out it's Aunt B, And there's a great line here where it says, Pulling back, I peered at the body beneath me, squinting as I tried to make out a face. A shaft of light cut across us, and the stranger became family in an instant. And it just, oh, you can just feel his heart dropping in that moment. Yeah. I love that, too, because we had figured it out, like, just moments before that was Belinda. So we're watching Chance with sort of that dramatic irony find out a few seconds later. Mm-hmm. And just that, like, horrible feeling of, like, oh, you're not going to like what you've just discovered. But yeah, like, this is really going to suck for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then also that reader, like, justification, where you're like, vindication, I figured it out. <laughs> yeah. I figured it out before the characters did. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, one for second sure. before them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew it all along. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. I'm a bit of a super sleuth. Yeah. <laughs> An armchair detective. <laughs> um, so the rest of the whole household comes running out. So everyone's there to see, like, the attack on Desdemona and then... Belinda argues that they can't believe Desdemona because she was a drug addict and had her thieving past. So she's trying to do a little like smear campaign on Desdemona. Uh, but it's pretty thin argument because of what we just saw, obviously. Yeah. And then Belinda says that, so like she's kind of arguing with Desdemona about Felix's affections. And Belinda says that Felix had always loved her. And that Desdemona was in the way, just like Verity. So that was like a huge reveal. Yeah. So how did you come up with the idea of Belinda revealing this truth rather than Cadence revealing it in her big denouement? Yes, that was yeah. the perfect word. Honestly, I thought it would hurt more, which is like such an author answer. <laughs> I was like, what would cause Chance the most pain? Hearing it from Cadence, like as just like kind of she's analytically laying everything out, that would hurt definitely but it's like hearing it come out of the mouth of the woman who like became your mother figure after your own mother passed away tragically in your youth like oh god that's that's just really hard that really hurts a lot and i was just like ooh, i like that (laughs) (laughs) salt in the wound robin salt in the wound pretty much it's like yeah like that's the absolute worst person to hear it from and I had to do it. I, it just felt perfect. Pure villain card, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, they have their great exposition, you know, relay their plan, would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you meddling kids moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
I liked it too because if Cadence had revealed it, then Chance could have been like, no, I don't believe you, or maybe you were mistaken, but hearing it directly from the source, it's pretty irreputable. Yeah. And I like when authors are not afraid to have characters do those hard things instead of beating around the bush. Like, it's it's hard for an author to, like, kill one of their own characters or, like, hurt one of their own characters. So the fact that you had to, like, emotionally hurt Chance in this moment, I think, was, like, a, a risk that definitely paid off as a reader. Yeah, I really wanted it to be a moment where he kind of building off of that moment that you caught on to in the last chapter where he was starting to think about like, wow, okay, like this is going to be really hard, not just like for me, but just in general, this is a really horrible situation for my whole family to just, to just be in. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of like that taking it up a notch where it's like, wow, okay. So this is, it's, it's terrible. It's as bad as it could possibly be. It's even worse than I thought. Uh. And yeah. It's like the one person who is he was maybe counting on or thinking about leaning on is the one person who betrayed him utterly. That's true, though. Yeah. Yeah. That makes for like good stakes in a story. Yeah. I feel like it was one of those things where like, haha, we caught Belinda. And then like one second later, it was like, oh, shit, she's been in this for the long haul. Yeah. She's long been involved con. from the beginning. Yeah. The truth just kind of snowballed from here. Mm hmm. It's also like you finally get what you wanted. You figured it out, but like at what cost? And now it's just like, ah, gut wrench. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. I think that was like kind of that line I read from the last one. Like his ignorance was nice for a moment, but he was going to have to rip that bandaid off really soon. Yes. One question I do have regarding our beautiful serpent is <laughs> how did you come up with that nickname? Beautiful serpent? Yeah. Um, well, it turns out, um, not turns out. I say, like, it turns out, like, I just did it by accident. Like, you know, oh, I just chanced into this. No. Um, I did it totally on purpose. Uh, Tanith, um, as a last name, is actually derived from the name of an ancient god that is a, a serpent-like creature Ooh. from old Israel and Palestine and the Middle East. Ooh. It's actually that... that particular deity is actually mentioned in some translations of the Torah in the Old Testament. I only know that because I took a really fascinating course in college when I first started writing this book about the Bible as historical text. And so I really liked that last name Tanith because of that little like evil god uh, linkage. And so I was yeah. like, cool. So that's she's going to be kind of sneaky and snake-like. And I was like, oh, so I can kind of work that into her nickname that maybe like Felix saw those qualities in her. Plus, it's kind of already linked to what her last name means. And she's the beautiful serpent. That's so cool. That's I yeah. like that, too, because it's not such a super obvious like word reference that people would immediately recognize. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, unless you're like. Like her last name is not like Python, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Belinda Scaly Flesh or like. You know, like <laughs> Deep lore. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's really cool. That's yeah. awesome. After this is all like coming out, Belinda's reasoning was that she was in love with Felix. And then when he married Verity, she was jealous. Like Verity was supposed to be her friend, but kind of got everything that Belinda always wanted. So that long-term resentment and jealousy had built up. And then Felix and Belinda schemed together to kill Verity. I did have just kind of a, a question, and maybe it got explained in a previous chapter and I forgot. But mm -hmm. why did he marry Verity? in the first place when he was in love with Belinda at that point anyway. 
Ah, yes. So I did mention in the um, little conversation that I think it was it was either the one that, that Chance had with Minerva or that he had with Belinda. Oh, was it the money thing? Yeah, that they were they were better suited class wise and like socially they just like and money wise they made a good match. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, I remember yeah. that now. So it was yeah, it was it was a very political quote unquote. You know, like it was sensible match, not necessarily a that love match. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. That I think makes perfect sense. Why Belinda is so jealous too, because she's clearly like a different social class from them as well. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Yes. Okay. As Belinda kind of reveals all of this, thankfully Solomon is there and he takes Belinda inside and they call the inspector. Now for the classic big reveal. (laughs) Yes, chapter 22 is like big reveal time. They're all in the sitting room. But right before that, at the very, very end of chapter 21, I liked this almost breaking of the third wall where Cadence and Chance are mad at each other and Chance says that he's had enough of Cadence's literary fantasies and that this isn't a book and it's his life and uh-huh. it just really made me laugh <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was interesting that you included sort of this conflict between your two main characters right at the end right before the reveal they weren't on the same page mm-hmm. and I didn't know if there was like reasoning for that like it was that kind of how you originally intended their story to go or yeah it was and we'll probably talk more about this when we get to like the end end of the book yeah but i didn't want this i wanted the mystery to have a clean ending but i very much from the beginning did not envision their relationship having a clean ending at the end of this first book okay and i think that's mostly because chance needed to grow so much <laughs> in this first book like he has a lot of work to do and Cadence has less, or she has work to do in different areas. And so I thought it was really important to show this moment where it's like Chance is growing, and that growth kind of conflicts with where Cadence is at in her understanding of people. Okay, yes. Yeah, and I thought it was just important to have it kind of near the end to show that that growth had happened, and that this wasn't necessarily going to be a happily ever after, they're going to make it together kind of thing. That's like, no, like, there are consequences to actions and those consequences are going to be somewhat realistic. Yeah. Yeah. You can't reward the guy for being slimy for half the book (laughs) and then have him get the girl. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about it like more at the end, but I was a fan of them not getting together in the first book. Yeah. But I'll hold off until the, until everything is (laughs) revealed. (laughs) Roll it back. Roll it back. (laughs) All right. Do you want to kind of go over the, like all of Cadence's revelations here, Sam? Yeah. So, with chapter 22, everyone goes back to the sitting room, and that's always in fantasy where, like, the big reveal happens. Everyone's all rounded up, sitting around. Not fantasy, mystery. Yes. Oh, does he do <laughs> he did say fantasy. We're conditioned at this point. I know. <laughs> mystery, mystery. <laughs> what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> no, yes. it's always in, like, the, the big, like, estate library or the sitting room, like, I always picture the the detective like leaning against the mantelpiece and everyone kind of like gathered around looking at yes. them. And, yeah, so that was totally what was in my head. Yes, and at this moment, Cadence whispers something to Henry and he hurries off, grabbing evidence and supplies. Yes. And Inspector Bribois arrives and arrests Belinda for the attempted murder of Desdemona. At this point, Cadence jumps in and adds, for the murder of Verity Hale. And everyone shocked. <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like, <gasps> oh, 
Wait, we already knew that. <gasps> yeah. I guess, but yes. Well, the yes. inspector's shocked. Yes. <laughs> I love the emptiness of this excuse where Belinda just says, I was in love. Like, <laughs> yeah, you were, but that's also terrible. And that's not justification for this. It's, it's yeah, not, it's, you the, it's know. the cool motive. Still murder. <laughs> yes. Uh, nine, nine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. And so Cadence adds that the attempted murder of Minerva Davers and the attempted murder of Felix Hale. So if there's one thing that Belinda's really good at is almost murdering people. <laughs> she can't quite seal the deal, though. Yeah, yeah there's something missing every time. <laughs> uh, Cadence also points out that Belinda was strong enough to do the strangling and points the matching ring that gives evidence of the marking that was on minerva's neck yeah i think she's trying to butter chance up a little bit too because throughout this reveal she keeps pointing out the things that he discovered not her i don't know if he's really clue like cued into it but since he was grumpy at her at the, at the end of chapter 21 and she's like oh but chance found this one and chance did this thing and and giving him credit where credit is due but um, it's funny because it's not like he's upset for not being in the spotlight anymore <laughs> He's yeah. upset because these are like people that he cares about in his life and like there are consequences happening. So it's it's nice and maybe a little naive of Cadence to be like, but Chance did the hard work. And it's like, no. like <laughs> And he's almost like, I wish I hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is not turning out well for me and my friends. Please yeah, stop. Like, maybe stop mentioning me, please. <laughs> yeah. Chance did such a good job figuring out his aunt almost killed his entire family. <laughs> and Chance helped. Yeah, yeah. At this point, Bribois is asking, why would Belinda attack Minerva? Where we get the great mic drop of the classic trope of mistaken identity. This was clever because although you may have described each character in the book throughout other chapters... I didn't put together that they had a similar appearance. I knew that they were both sickly, which was sort of like their main character trait that gets harped on a lot. But I hadn't really thought that it would be something that Belinda would confuse in the dark. But they were also both coming from Desdemona's rooms. So it like it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. I just hadn't put that in there as a potential option. Yeah, I thought someone was going around attacking everybody in the house and i was trying to figure out that mystery not necessarily oh minerva was an unintended consequence it really is just that like belinda's really bad at this like she tries <laughs> to kill people and she's just really bad at this she's really sloppy <laughs> yeah um i do have one question mm -hmm. when you were inventing the characters did you already have this idea of like confused identities ready to roll or this kind of happened organically as you were creating everyone this one definitely happened organically as I was creating everyone. I didn't even have the attack on Minerva as part of the book until the third or fourth draft, I think. Oh, wow. Oh. That was, I think that was a note from one of my beta readers at one point that was like, you know, we need more evidence about Belinda targeting people or something like, you know, targeting Desdemona and like making it more obvious. And I was like, okay, okay. So like maybe she's gonna try to attack Desdemona first time. And I was like, okay, but like Desdemona's not gonna be able to fight her off. Like that's not gonna work. Not unless she's hopped up on Drogon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, well, I don't I really want to do that to her. for a moment like that. Yeah. But with all the 
recalls back to one Desdemona's Drogon use, but also current Drogon being as a evidence moment that we'll see more from Dr. Merton's bag. Mm-hmm. You know, I was waiting for a Drogon fueled attack from someone at some point. I think that was specifically to like lead us off the case right. of Belinda. So yeah. good red herring. <laughs> But so I, I didn't throw that in. It really just kind of occurred to me that I was like, I had character sheets written up at the time when I was working on the book. And I just kind of had them all laid out. And I was like, oh, OK, so they're actually not that dissimilar looking from like behind in the dark, I would think. They're both, you know, around the same height. They both are sickly, frail, thin, blonde. I can see this working. I would make that mistake because I would also be very bad at killing people. <laughs> like, <laughs> Especially in like the spur of the moment, kind of like, I have to deal with this now because I'm really pissed. Yeah, because it seemed like Belinda chose to do it kind of when the opportunity presented itself. Yes, it was very opportunistic. Not very well planned out. It wasn't like a, she was stalking Desdemona and she found the perfect moment. It was more just like, you know what, I've had enough of this bitch. I'm going to take her out. (laughs) Yeah. And it didn't work out for her. Nope. No. Poor Minerva. Caught in the crossfire. Yeah. She she makes a full recovery, at least. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point in the reveal, Victoria is there. She's kind of fallen by the wayside with how much she's shown up and bothered Chance throughout the chapters. But she, <laughs> she's still there. Don't um, worry. She's still around. Oh, yeah. And she gets her final great moment oh, in a little bit. Oh, I can't bit. wait. <laughs> <laughs> but asks why they added attempted murder of Felix Hale to the list of crimes. And they point out that the cider was poisoned by Belinda, which... I'm so glad that that accusation was accurate on our part. Yes. Yeah, so you guys I, totally got that one. That's, you know, one out of like, what, 100 yeah. <laughs> for us? <laughs> Give me Desdemona's baby. <laughs> <laughs> Let it go, please. So we actually ended up doing a little bit of research. I'm so impressed with your writing that Orpiment is a real mineral that is toxic. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. We ended yes. up looking it up online and it's beautiful, but yeah, toxic. Well, yeah. it was so funny too, because we were writing notes and I was like, oh, they ha- like her necklace is made out of this thing, Orpiment, which has arsenic in it. And Sam just goes, oh, I bet that's probably some cool like sci-fi mineral that doesn't exist. <laughs> nope, totally real. Yeah. How did you come up with this? You know, I wish I could remember, uh, but this is this is one of those things that I was just like, I, I wanted a poison and I wanted it to be a classic poison like arsenic or cyanide, because like I said, this is all very this book is all very Christie inspired. Um, yep. And she always loves her cyanide and her arsenic. And, you know, she loves those kinds of it's it's, hard, it's weird to say like the MVPs of the poison world, you know, <laughs> you know those the, heavy hitters, you know, levels, yeah. <laughs> For readers, those are ones that like we would recognize. Like if someone listed just some random chemical, I'd be like, "What the heck is that?" But yeah. as soon as I saw arsenic, I was like, "Uh oh." <laughs> exactly, like, people key to that, but I didn't want it from like some kind of boring source or what in my mind was a boring source um like a seed or a plant or like rat poison or something because i was like i wasn't even sure they had rats on this planet honestly and i didn't want to think that hard so (laughs) so i was like you know i wonder what else there's lots of things that are poisonous and so i just i think i just started doing you know i am a librarian by trade my other life so i started just hitting the books and doing some research and i was like oh you know crystals I remembered I had um, 
a roommate in college who was really into Wicca and crystals and all that kind of stuff. And I remember she always used to tell us like, oh, you know, like if you touch that one, wash your hands afterwards. Like don't, don't touch your face. Oh, because certain crystals, they leave residue that's, they won't like kill you, but like, it's not good for you if you touch them barehanded. Yeah. And so I remembered that and I went, okay, like, I wonder if they're actually like deadly rocks. Like, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) and turns out there absolutely are. There are poisonous crystals and gemstones and rock formations. Now I did fib a bit about how you would actually extract enough arsenic from orpiment to actually I think you'd need like this whole setup in order to actually do it. It would probably take way longer than Belinda had have <laughs> to do it. Maybe there's different rules on this planet. There's like, different rules. It's the future. They have better science equipment. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Heavier concentration in this crystal, whatever. Yeah, of course. It's yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Soft science explanation away. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it is a real crystal and it really does contain arsenic. So this that's a little PSA for all you crystal lovers out there. Be careful what you're touching because some of them are poisonous. I had never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so does that mean that Belinda became a geologist in later drafts or was she always a geologist like, did you come up with this before you started writing? Yes. Yeah, this was it pretty much from the get go was poisonous rocks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I always knew I wanted a, a poison in there. And I right from the beginning, I was like, I got to figure that out or else the whole book isn't going to make any sense. And so I came up with Orpiment. I loved it. It's really beautiful. Anyone listening should Google it. It's a beautiful crystal. Yeah, it was really nice color. It's um, golden. It's really just luxurious and i kind of liked the parallel of belinda having her poisonous necklace and then we also had the story of the stolen negrescu Mm -hmm. necklace so i felt like it kind of clued us in that maybe we should have paid attention to necklaces but yeah great it was just hiding in plain sight and i loved that yeah i also really love that idea of like household weapons you know that idea there's like you know there are lots of things in your house that can totally kill you and they're always around you just don't if you're not you know a murderer you don't think of them that way exactly yeah oh maybe maybe a good time to ask your question then which is a little bit later but was felix actually beaten over the head with the book or was that a fake weapon that was totally real yes wow <laughs> i actually found i wish i i wish i had kept um this is the problem with like changing computers from years to years oh. i actually found an old case from like the 1930s or something where someone was beaten to death with this like it was like a huge book like to be clear like it's like one of those big thick like encyclopedia almanac kind of things but it's a hardcover and they used to make hardcovers out of like really tough material um and like the leather was like double bounded and those books are hard and they're heavy um so you can conceivably kill someone with a book inconceivable (laughs) (laughs) low hanging fruit but that's awesome and amazing and yeah i was just unsure because obviously felix had such an impressive library so he would have an old tome that could probably do the job yeah or a story cube theoretically are those Mm. like metal and plastic too yeah i think they'd probably be more likely to crack under the pressure of like hitting the skull kind of like a bottle 
would. Okay. Uh, even yeah. though, even though, <laughs> another PSA for all of our <laughs> listeners: hitting someone over the head with a bottle um, is very dangerous, and bottles are very hard, and you will seriously hurt someone before the bottle actually cracks. Most bottles that you see in TV and movies are made of sugar. That's why they smash so easily. I knew that. I just learned that. I thought that was so fun. So yeah, really, actually cracking a bottle over someone's skull is very dangerous. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> But yeah, so I would imagine it'd be a story cue would act more like a bottle where it would probably shatter. Okay. If you actually get gotten a force behind it. I like that it's such a sci-fi world, but it's like simple, again, household items that yeah. did the dirty work, as it were. Yeah, it wasn't like the great sword hanging over the fireplace. <laughs> right. Like- <laughs> this weird imported crystal dagger or whatever. Yeah. Which does happen in some murder mysteries for sure oh yeah i like when it's something that was just kind of you overlooked it so many times the mundane Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we continue to talk about this exposition and how belinda had poisoned the cider and that she kind of counted on the fact that felix would be the only person to drink it she is a very sloppy murderer to Mm. be fair now that we like see this yeah she's (laughs) <laughs> she just doesn't really care who she gets. I kind of wanted to put in the the feeling that she really like is sloppy, yes, but also is just really uncaring about other people. Like she just really doesn't. She doesn't care who she hurts, Mm-mm. which is terrible. That's a really bad quality to have as a person. <laughs> yeah, I was always. I think in the very introduction, when all the characters were arriving at the beginning of the book, Belinda was kind of like the eccentric aunt, especially because she's a geologist. And I got the impression that she had like gemstones on, very wrapped up in herself and her image. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was hotel staff. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. She would be rude to hotel staff. You know she would. <laughs> she would totally send her dinner back at a restaurant. She would have like yes. a purse full of rocks and just drop it off to like the bellboy. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and take these to my rooms. Like that yes. kind of. And please use the stairs, not the elevator. It's, they're very sensitive to changes in altitude. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I was like a little surprised that Chance had such like strong feelings towards her. But I think she just happened to play her role as like a surrogate mother to him very well. Yeah. Jumping back to speaking about the book, the the murder weapon book, not your your book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right in the middle of this chapter, someone asks, I think Chance asks, like, if Belinda is the one who tried to poison his dad then why didn't she just try to poison him twice? Why did he get his head bashed in? And then Cadence, and this was actually a huge surprise to us. We did not see this coming, says, oh, Belinda didn't do it. Dr. Merton did. Cartoonishly went, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were reading Audible it the first gasp. time. I was like, no. Like, what? How? <laughs> but like, literally, it was like, but who would suspect? Bumbling Dr. Merton. Like, I just... Again, very, very deceptive. I wasn't expecting Belinda and Merton to have... They're not really allies, so I I didn't really see a relationship between the two, but the way that the murder situation played out, it made sense that they worked together. Mm -hmm. So I was just so surprised, though, when it was... Like, I thought we got Belinda, and I was like, that's it. We figured it out, and then there was a whole second person in there. So yeah, way to keep it rolling. Mm -hmm. Literally a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, very much. So the motives behind it was that Dr. Merton was the only person who was suspected that Felix had been poisoned by the cider. And Cadence shows everyone that Merton had collected a vial of blood, which is what she had sent Henry to go get. So he's 
this whole time helping her reveal the evidence. The reason that he took the blood sample is because he had seen those same symptoms back in the day when Verity had died, and he was trying to figure out why a second poisoning was happening. Which great callback. Yeah. He is mad that Caden snooped in his bag, but I mean, what are you going to do about it at this point? (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. So sad. Sorry, you murdered someone. That's what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Caden says that Merton actually covered up the murder of Verity to save his own reputation and then killed Felix because Felix had been blackmailing him for covering up making sure he continued to cover up the murder of Verity Hale. So Mm -hmm. they were all kind of wrapped up with each other for years and years, and people were hitting their breaking points after 20-ish years, I guess, of this nonsense with getting blackmailed. And Merton, like, couldn't really have his own career. He was just, like, stuck where Felix had him this whole time. Yeah. Which, as an aside, too, that must have been so uncomfortable for both Dr. Burton and Desdemona at one point or another where, you know, Felix finally brings her to his home for the first time. It's like, (laughs) this is my on-call doctor. And they look at each other and like, nice to meet you for the first time ever. Like... (laughs) I must say, I don't know if you guys, you didn't catch this at the time, but you kind of caught this at the time. You actually see that moment in this book. Wait, is that at the dinner party? It's at the dinner party. That's the first time they've ever met. (gasps) I thought they'd seen each other before. No, Merton uh, chokes on his water and has that that whole thing. And Desdemona's very flustered and is like, I don't know what to do with myself. But Chance is just so involved in himself that that he doesn't pick up on those things happening. (laughs) That's brilliant on your part because we assume this is to be character tropes. Their behaviors of just being like awkward people. Oh, yeah, I love that. I'm gonna say you totally you you picked up that that was like something important. That you were like, I feel like that's an important character moment. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. It is an important character moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Can't tell you anything, but could be an important character moment. (laughs) It's classified. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so pleased that we picked up on it. Mm -hmm. Just didn't recall it when we needed to recall it. I had just assumed that Merton's behavior throughout this whole thing was just him being on and off drugs. And that was kind of explaining his like mm-hmm. odd mannerisms because yes. that is true too. So I think I just kind of had written that into that narrative instead of that being the first time he and Desdemona had seen each other. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Puzzle pieces <laughs> falling into place. Very good work. Cadence continues on her role, just kind of explaining everything. She says that she read the coroner's report for Verity's death, which must have been one of the documents that she had been keeping from chance in a previous chapter. Correct. Aha. Perfect. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's all coming into place. So she matches up all the symptoms and everything and, and realizes that that is how Verity got murdered was the same poison. And then she shows them all the docu-chip that chance found in the wind in the willows Chance is like pretty sentimental at this moment, knowing that the book had meant as much to his father as it had to him. And that's where the will had been hidden in a meaningful way. And I know last last time or last last time we had asked you about the choice behind Mm -hmm. the wind in the willows and you said you couldn't tell us everything. So can we finally ask about that? Yes. Yeah. So you guys had asked if it had a like an in book significance and and or an out of book significance, like why I picked that particular book. And yes, I very much picked it 
in book because I do see the parallels between Mr. Toad and Chance. You know, where it is very much like Mr. Toad mm-hmm. is certainly more lovable than Chance, but he's still very much that that rascally rogue <laughs> um, kind of character who is so into having a good time that it's actually self-destructive. But throughout the story of The Wind and the Willows, he, through the intervention of his friends, realizes what's really important and kind of comes around and decides to be a better person. So I very much liked that parallel. But I also have to confess, I part of writing this book was I knew it was going to be the first book that I published, or at least that was my goal. Okay. I was either going to self-publish this or get it published somehow. Somehow it was going to be my first book. <laughs> I had made a promise to my dad when he had been diagnosed with cancer that the first book I ever published, I was going to dedicate to him. Oh. The first book my dad ever read me was The Wind in the Willows. That's a really nice homage. Yeah. And so it was like, when I think about children and parents, that's the book I think of is The Wind in the Willows. And so the kind of out of book reason was I was like, that's the relationship that me and my dad had, you know, that there was like, you know, through over the years, even when things got tough, we could always go back to that book and talk about that story and talking about remembering us reading it and all that kind of stuff. That's that's why. <laughs> yeah. I that's love that. Beautiful. Thank I you like for sharing that with us. I like how well it paralleled for your actual story yeah. too, like something that's so personal to you. My equivalent book is Little House on the Prairie and that clearly would not have worked well for this story, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's very much like this is a father and son story. Yeah. But it is also in a weird way. I mean, this is not at all the relationship I had with my father. <laughs> the relationship I had with my dad was quite lovely, but um, but it is a story that I knew I wanted to write to kind of explore that dynamic uh, because I knew I was writing this book in a way for my dad. That's really nice. I like that you were able to include all of that. Yeah. That's awesome. You okay over there? Yeah, that's just really nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is your question. You asked me this like 10 times when we were reading. (laughs) So (laughs) when we have this revelation that we have the will, Mm -hmm. did Felix actually change anything about Chance and Desdemona in the will for inheritance? Ah, that is a great question. No. Oh. The only thing he changed was that section where he reveals... That he was complicit in Verity's untimely demise and his reasoning for that. But I think, not just I think, I know, I wrote the book. Um, I don't think he ever intended to write Desdemona into the will. Oh. Interesting. And I don't believe he was ever going to write Chance out. Ooh, just kept oh. us on our toes. He's a very interesting yeah. character crafty he got so little screen time being alive Mm -hmm. obviously so we just get everybody else's opinions of him but he's very dynamic and kind of surprising then i thought for sure he would have split it at least 50 yeah no he did not um and i would think that's because he likes to control people i must say it's not really for a good reason and i think writing desdemona into the will he would have felt like well there's no need for that i'm i'm gonna take care of her always Ah, I'm always going to be there to take care of her. So there's no reason she doesn't need her own money ever. It's fine. And it's like, no, it's not fine. Uh, Now I like him a little bit less. Yeah. (laughs) And with Chance, I think it would always be 
yes, he would like to threaten to write him out of the will, but he is too fond of his own legacy to actually cut him off like that. Because he really does feel like... Yeah, he seems very, like, traditional. Yeah, there always has to be a hail at the head of Halcyon Enterprises. He really does believe Mm. that. Because he thinks it reflects well on their family. That really kept us on our toes the whole time with the will. And then I kept thinking about, well, how much does Henry's dad know because he was helping him with it? He wasn't helping him, though. He was just there to, like, manage it. He wasn't, like, writing it with him. Oh, see, I thought he was, like, privy to a lot of the information. No, no, no. No, he was just an executor. So he just was, after it was done and when Felix passed, he would have been responsible for executing it, making sure it went the way it was supposed to. But Felix wasn't letting him read it or anything. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) I think we just read it so quickly the first time through. We were like, wait, what happened with the will? And we went back and flipped through it and we were like, Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And obviously at the end, Chance helps Desdemona out and he clearly is like getting set up to take over things. So I was like, I guess, I guess Felix didn't change his will. No, yeah, he did not. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting. So to continue with our revelations, we get a lot of Merton's past before getting blackmailed into service for... (laughs) The Hale family. <laughs> he was a drogan addict, and at the facility where he was receiving treatment, he was there with none other than Desdemona, because they were boyfriend girlfriend, not siblings. That was my guess. Yeah, oh not siblings, yeah, that was your guess. No, they were romantically entwined. Ah, <sighs> I think for some strange reason, I thought Desdemona was younger than Chance. And I think I made that, I must have made that up because obviously she's not if she was mm-hmm. there with Dr. Merton in the past. Um, <laughs> so I think in my brain, I was like, oh, she must just be like Dr. Merton's much younger, like baby sister. Yeah. And she's I clearly I think you not. wanted to visualize Desdemona as like the young trophy wife, maybe. I think that's like what I was doing. And girlfriend. I think I had just filled in in my head that Chance was angry that his dad was marrying like someone younger than him or someone very young. Clearly that's not the case, but that totally messed up my like logic of how they would have been related. Yeah. Cause I was like, Dr. Merton's old and Desdemona's really young. They wouldn't have known each other. My mistake, but they were boyfriend, girlfriend. So their backstory makes sense with his calling her Desi and their Drogan habits. But unfortunately Desdemona did get clean and Merton is still on Drogan, it seems. Mm-hmm. So that's been affecting his whole life. Basically, he's just been stuck, blackmailed for like knowing about Verity, but also blackmailed for his reputation, being a drug addict again. So he's just been under Felix's little kingdom, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> under his thumb, for sure. Yes. So Cadence has a great line. So she says, so you've kept it quiet all these years, tending to the Hale family, living in fear that at any moment Felix would change his mind about keeping your little secret. And after that, who would believe anything you said? A filthy addict. And that is unfortunately like the reality of things. There is definitely like a a smear against people who have had trouble with drugs in the past and trouble with addiction, even though it is an illness. Yeah, it's it's a disease. Not always a choice. Yeah. But that is the reality of how like society would totally look at that. Yeah. So I see why Martin was stuck. Martin is very distraught that Desdemona chose Felix over himself. 
maybe she doesn't have the best taste in men, but she definitely chose a more comfortable lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) And not being with Burton, who's still a bad influence with drugs. Mm -hmm. Right. And Cadence does have a great line here as well, where she says, it must have felt like a miracle when you realized what Belinda had tried to do. That's why you took the blood to blackmail her into silence while you killed the man she loved. Yeah, so these characters are just making like a swirl of, I've got power over you for this thing, and then I saw you do this, and now I can blackmail you for this. So they're getting just like enmeshed very deeply with each other. So Merton was taking this as his ticket to freedom and then was going to blackmail Belinda into silence. Yes. And then we get a quick rundown of like how Felix was murdered, which we were sort of clued into as Cadence had figured it all out. Now everyone's on the same page. Yeah, man, oh man, it definitely finally explains when we find the body, why it looked like that. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that was that such been a question. Me insane. Because <laughs> it just was, seemed so intense and brutal. Mm. Like we brought it up before, like why? Yeah, so graphic. <laughs> I know, and then it had such a relatively innocent explanation. It did, yeah. yeah where it was like, it's kind of more just like, whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it seemed very weekend at Bernie's ask, like, well, what do we do? Yeah. Once again, it's like these these are people who acted out of passion, not planning. I can see that. Cause I think once Merton saw Desdemona, his emotions are very riled. Mm-hmm. It seems like when the opportunity presented itself for him to kill Felix, he was like, Well, here we go. <laughs> Let's do this thing. And it's like, okay. Did you give any thought to the aftermath? Okay, well now. <laughs> no right? yeah. like there's a lot of cleanup there's a lot of logistics involved got to figure it out so basically what happened is that he was murdered downstairs which cadence was correct about by a book and then the fasc's she shows them have blood residue and like skin flakes on them so that is how his face skin got scrubbed off yeah so he gross. got power scrubbed so gross. Oh. So gross. So, I that yeah. I thought that was great. It was morbid. It was intense, but it was just. It was really creative. Yeah. Just really gross. Just really gross. Yeah. And I thought it talk about a good red herring because it's like there's few things more intense than like defacing a body, literally defacing. You know, like taking the face off, and it really does make you think. Oh, like someone was really out of their mind, mad or crazy or like upset, and it's like. So it makes you think who would be in that mindset rather than going, maybe something just happened to the body that they didn't intend. <laughs> right. And then that happens twice. Yeah. <laughs> Followed up by them shoving him into the dumbwaiter and breaking his bones to get in there. Oh. Yeah. Bodies are It awkward. explains so much. Bodies are hard to get rid of and move, you know, especially when they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I am glad that we were right with the whole part where Felix had already been murdered at that point and Desdemona's like, going to bed, dear. And someone's wearing him like a jacket. You left. You all laughed at Felix, uh, ba- backpack Felix, okay? <laughs> you, you, I, was, I was so proud. I was so proud. <laughs> I really just meant they were like firemen carrying him over and like shuffling along with him. Yes. Yeah. Justice for backpack Felix. <laughs> But yes, and I do love the, yeah, it was very much a Weekend at Bernie's vibe in that scene where it's just like, yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Go to bed, <laughs> Good dear. night now. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. 
And then the last piece of evidence that we had not picked up on at all was that they used a house incinerator to get rid of a lot of the evidence. And that's why Henry's room was really warm. Mm. That all clicked into place there. Mm -hmm. Now we know everything. Oh, just kidding. We don't. There's one more clue. And we we picked up on it. It was Cadence found Martin's broken glasses from the night of the murder. Found them in the plant pot. Mm -hmm. I think picked up on. You did. We picked up on. But I don't think we knew that they were Merton's glasses. We didn't know what she was doing. We just thought it was weird that she had dirt on her hand from like moving the the plant around. Yeah. I was also confused about why he couldn't read the release of the body paperwork. Yes. Yeah, you picked up on that. You picked up on that super early. And I was like, yay, you're right. <laughs> that is something weird. <laughs> it, it was so weird. I just didn't know it until now why it was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I love how much you peppered in way at the beginning. And I know that's how murder mysteries are structured, but I'm always impressed when it's like, oh, that thing from like 200 pages ago. Now we get it. Yeah. It's a lot to keep track of. And I'm very impressed with all of your, your weaving and planning. Speaking of which, right before we get to the final bit of this chapter, this is like the pinnacle of a murder mystery. The big reveal chapter. We go over all the clues. Was this fun to write or was it more planning to make sure you got everything in there this was a labor of love and i mean that in both (laughs) in both of those words it was labor and it was love so yes it was fun (laughs) but god it was hard it was a lot of work these were definitely the chapters that took me probably the most time you want to make sure You've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, that it, and that it makes sense. But then also from a artistic standpoint, you're like, I don't want this to be boring. You know, like I don't want to just have it be a straight up, this happened, and then that happened, and then this person said this. It's like, yeah, like no one wants to read 20 pages of explanation for the book they just read. It still has to be artistic yeah. and like a scene and with drama and tension. And it's really hard to do that while you're still also <laughs> trying to be like... I really need the reader to understand how we got to this point, because if they don't understand, they're going to feel super cheated. So I did a lot of drafts of these last few chapters to make sure I got it as right as I possibly could. Well, I thought it came out great. Yeah. We, like I said, when we were reading this, we like could not put it down. We were flying through the pages. So it definitely did not feel boring. Good. I can see where if you don't do it correctly, it could be like, oh yeah, we basically already read this story and now somebody's explaining the story to us. Yeah. But the way it was written with especially like Henry revealing the clues and Cadence sort of like running around and showing everyone, we were like, oh yeah, we guessed this right. Or, oh no, we didn't get that right. And felt more like the other members of the household as Cadence was explaining everything to them. Yeah. Yes. But because we'd been in the know, it was fun to see where we had been correct and things that we maybe picked up on or didn't pick up on all fall into place. Yeah, I definitely, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Clue. Yes, I love that movie. That ending with the butler, with, with the butler running around from room to room and everyone falling, <laughs> that is actually a, a great way to end a murder mystery is just having that kind of energy and chaos, but it's also is very easy to follow. I watched that scene a lot when I was writing these chapters <laughs> because I was like, I want it to be like this because it's fun. Like you don't sit there going, we watched this. Like I know what happened. I watched the movie. Please, Wadsworth, stop talking. You're like, no, okay, I'm invested. I'm here. I'm running along the behind you in the hallway. Show me what I missed. And so that's the 
the kind of energy I was going for was that kind of controlled chaos of the reveal, you know, finally going, aha, to this room, you know, like, let's figure it out. Yeah, it was very dynamic. Yeah. I think it came out great. So don't worry. Good, good. <laughs> I thought it was really fun. Cadence brought the energy. Everyone was asking questions at the right time, being skeptical at the right time. And then she would bring out like the last piece of evidence with Henry. And yeah, it just it made it very dramatic, even though we kind of already knew half of the explanation right just filling in all those details with so much like excitement really was fun to read oh yeah especially the hows and whys because i felt like i had overall ideas of motivations and how it was going to happen but to get the actual play-by-play especially with felix's demise i was like what okay what Like we had read all these final chapters and it was getting kind of late. And so we're, you know, as an aside, we're getting to the phase of our adulthood where we go to bed pretty early for early work days. Mm-hmm. And it was so worth staying up late and like nerding out and like <laughs> kicking and squealing in bed about this book. <laughs> I think I did make us go to bed after this chapter, which was horrible because this chapter actually ends with Martin realizing he's been cornered and grabbing chance and holding a syringe of drogon to his throat and he's like you won't get me and then i unfortunately was like we have to go to bed now and that was the night (laughs) i did not sleep (laughs) (laughs) yeah i didn't want to have to be like bad cop in that moment but i was like we have to put the book down like it's too late we'll finish it tomorrow just chance survive (laughs) find out next time man good night (laughs) i I read it ahead the next day at work (gasps) Betrayal <laughs> of the highest order. <laughs> Hush. <laughs> You've read so many books ahead of me. I, know, I, know. <laughs> I have no self-control. <laughs> I and do. neither does Dr. Merton, apparently. No. So <laughs> No. Oh, this was such a, a real reaction, too, especially because A, I don't think he thought he was going to get caught, but also B, this was not a planned murder. So just that frantic panic of knowing you've totally gotten caught. The police have been there this whole time watching all the clues come out. And then this is his last play. It's not a super strong move and it's pretty low blow against chance, but he's just kind of like, yep, going to threaten somebody and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, Sloppy hostage situation. Yeah. Where he's like, I'm pretty sure this is not going to turn out well for me, but at this point, what do I got to lose? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, he's got the syringe against Chance's throat. He's yelling that he had done all this for Desdemona because he still loved her. There was such a ironic line that Martin says to Desdemona where he's saying, that man, meaning Felix, you didn't know what he was really like. This whole family is soulless, hollow, heartless machines. I didn't kill Felix. I shut him down. And I thought the parallel wording of that and how the Hales think of Anima Necrons was just icing on the cake. Excellent. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so he grabs Chance and they hop in one of the PTs and they try to make a run for it. But Cadence jumps in front of the car. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and the car skids off the road and it clips Cadence as it goes. So things look pretty sad for our heroes right at the end. Yeah. But thankfully she's okay. She does have a huge gash on her. And you can see all these like plastic and wires and tubes and pipes inside of her so and poor henry because he's like (laughs) hey you okay oh my god (laughs) 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 and 
And I give Chad so much credit because he had not been tactful or like smooth at any point in this book. No, this is when he finally got it together. Yeah, he definitely got it at the golden hour. You like, know. He'd been making headway and had been having better thoughts and becoming more aware. But this is the first time that he was put to the test to stand up for somebody else. And he did, and then immediately after, he tells Victoria off. So, like, double whammy, he's much better than he was at the beginning of the book. He went from slime to good guy Chance. <laughs> <laughs> and so, great quote, too, where Chance tells Henry, Yes, I know, it's all very shocking, but she's the same cadence as ever, and we both adore her. So if you'd rather she not be deported, please give me your jacket before anyone else sees. Please. <laughs> <laughs> We finally see this kind of like charming side of Chance make way. He's had it in him all along, but his approach and his direction had always been wrong. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to see that like you had it in you all along. Yeah, we've got a soft spot for him now. Yeah, was like an actual decent human being underneath all the slime. He did it. (laughs) (laughs) And And then then we get Victoria. And oh, I was stoked. The best tell-off, the best comeback. So good. (laughs) Victoria swoons over Chance. Are you okay? I was so worried. No, you weren't. (laughs) No. (laughs) Ain't nothing but a gold digger. um, (laughs) Great line. No, Victoria, I'm fine. In fact, I'm fine. finally fine enough to tell you that you are the most frigid, self-serving bitch I've ever met. And if I never see you again, it'll be too soon. To which Victoria replies, you you bastard, I can't believe you. Screw you. You already have. (laughs) Oh! Oh! Literally, that's all I could think about when I read that. It was so good. Even just like the EO officers like in the middle of like handcuffing Murray and I'll just go, oh! (laughs) Nice! Even Dr. Merton all handcuffed. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Uh, Is that the most satisfying line to write in the book? Yeah, pretty much. Amazing. It was great. (laughs) Such a good comeback. I was stoked. (laughs) And then Henry was all happy about it, too. (laughs) He's like, oh, I've wanted you to do that since we were three. Thank goodness you finally said something. (laughs) Like, yes, she's horrible. And now she's out of our lives. Thank goodness. We're free. I feel like that was a great way to lighten the tension and really kind of give the readers a moment to like take a breath too because mm-hmm. there's been so much build up and explanation and shock and then obviously we get one more major shock with Merton you know pulling one last ditch effort so to add some brevity and fun to it just really help with the decline of like yeah. intensity just de-escalate things yes. yeah 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 using humor to de-escalate it's definitely a good tactic <laughs> after all this you know, the action is winding down. The EO medics look over Chance and Cadence like weasels her way out of getting looked at, thankfully. You're leaking oil, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ma'am, you've sprung a leak? Is that normal for you? Or I always do this. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who comes back finally but Bribois after like not really doing his job the entire book? <laughs> At which point Cadence tells Henry, now is a good time for maximum confusion. So he skips off and we find out what that means in a moment. But 
Sam wrote in our notes, Cadence is praised by the useless inspector. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But he gets like one last little jab and he's like, you did a really good job, but you know what? Where's that necklace? And it's like, first off, that's your job. Yeah. It's like, "Mm, I don't think that's my responsibility. (laughs) No, not at all. He's clearly had his pride hurt by now. Cadence responds that nobody stole the necklace. Two seconds later, an officer shows up carrying the necklace, saying that he found it on the banister. Bourbois is like so mad that there was no thief. So he just gives the necklace back to Chance. Not to Desdemona, which I thought was not cool of him. No. Once again, no <laughs> one spares a thought for Desdemona. Ah, uh, I know. <laughs> Poor Desdemona. She gets such a raw deal in this book. Yeah. I know, because then Chance, it's like, here you go, Henry. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) Like, that doesn't belong to you. Literally in the notes, I put some friend, he stole it. Why would you reward him by giving it back to him? (laughs) So (laughs) Henry totally pulled an Indiana Jones moment and said, that belongs in a museum Mm -hmm. and stole it to donate to a museum, which if it's that famous and valuable of a necklace too, if it showed up in a museum, it would have gotten the attention of the Hales again anyway, I would think. So yeah, for sure. not really think that through. There's a lot of people in this book who did not think their crimes through at all. They were just like, I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is mostly my, like my, ex- not experience of crime. I don't have a lot of experience of crime, to be clear. <laughs> I do like reading about a lot of true crime and stuff like that. And, and it's amazing the amount of crime that is committed by people who just don't think things through you know it is so much of the spur of the moment in the heat of passion i want something i'm gonna take it i need to do this because of some bs reason of i was in love or i hated them or whatever and then it's like yeah but your actions have consequences (laughs) (laughs) like immediate horrible consequences and you need to think that through before you do things So I really liked playing with that in this book of like, yeah, just people sometimes, especially privileged people, tend to do things without thinking about the consequences of their actions. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, all over the place. Especially, too, I wonder if a lot of people who, like, do commit crimes, like, if your brain goes to the point of being like, crime is an option in this situation, you are in some sort of weird headspace where you would also then not assume that there would be consequences. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I'm in a jam, I'm not like, ah, know what solution I have? Murder. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That action consequence part of your brain is like almost shut off because you're like, no, that's not important. I have only one option. And it's like, no, you don't. There are lots of other options. No, there's other things you could be doing. Yeah. Don't do the crime. Please. (laughs) Don't let your inner Neanderthal come out. Yeah. (laughs) So Henry hid the necklace when he did steal it in the tree knots outside his window, which I think I guessed that the trees are going to be used as an escape route. So I had picked up on them, but I filled out the details around them in the wrong way. Yeah, you were close. Though. I was still totally. I think- yeah, I was really happy that you caught that, that, that you that I was trying to do some kind of like pointy pointy at the trees. So <laughs> like, hey, look at those. Yeah, look at the trees. <laughs> yeah, because at one point. Henry says, like, oh, we used to put notes in, like, the the hole. Yeah, so I had picked up on that, and he was, like, saying how he wanted to climb out and, or, like, look at the trees or something at one point, Mm -hmm. early, early on. So I was like, there's something with those. Yeah. I just don't know what it is. I want to (laughs) climb that tree and hide the necklace I stole. I mean, nothing. (laughs) I mean, what? (laughs) I mean, there's nothing in there. Don't look in the trees. 
(laughs) (laughs) Again, so like we already said, Chance gives Henry the necklace to donate to a museum instead of asking Desdemona if she wants it back or selling it to then set Desdemona up with a new life or anything. He just gives her her job back at Alcyon. <laughs> Listen, he got better, but he's still Chance. It might just be like a privileged person's perspective of like, oh, that'll be helpful. Yeah, it's like you're like a working class person, so you need to work, right? So here's your job. It's like, thank you. Thanks. You need to have a sense of purpose, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, this will help. I could use. He did invite her to stay at least, so that was. He tried. He tried a little bit. Yeah, but weirdly, Desdemona was like, "Mm, "I think I'll go. Thank you." (laughs) I've had enough of the murder house. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So yeah, so she doesn't want to stay, but she does get her job back at Halcyon, which like, what a sad second prize that she gets. You lost your rich husband in a promising future of being an heiress. Would you like to be a secretary again? See you on Monday. <laughs> she really does deserve her own novella. You guys have kind of convinced me. I need to like bring her back because I she, she got done dirty in this book. Poor poor Desdemona. Yeah, because Chance like wrote her off at the beginning. He was like, just being like, yeah, whatever. She's like my dad's girlfriend. And then she was sickly, so I didn't know what was going on with her. It wasn't a pregnancy. Uh <laughs> But she seems like she's got actually like a pretty interesting past and a lot of dynamic character growth. There's a lot going on with her. Yeah. I totally do a little side story. Her early foray into crime. Yeah, totally. She does her thieving. Did she also? Yeah, was she a jewel? She was a jewel thief, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, you could totally write. You could totally make a different murder mystery or a not murder mystery. A jewel thief mystery. (laughs) Yeah, heist story. That'd be awesome. Where Desdemona goes back to the office on like a Monday and everyone's like, welcome back. What happened? And then she's like, what am I doing here? I'm going to see the company burn. Oh, I was thinking just like her origin story being a jewel thief back in the day. Oh, that's great too. It could not be called Desdemona's baby, but we could call it baby Desdemona. (laughs) It's a terrible title. (laughs) Title in progress. (laughs) So, all right, we come to chapter 26, the final chapter. It's like the aftermath chapter where Chance visits his lawyers. He arranges the funeral. He helps Desdemona. It's sort of like a flurry of things settling down again. Minerva wakes up from her coma. So things are getting better. Um, Henry and Solomon decide to return back to their house and Cadence decides to leave too. So Chance is suddenly facing the prospect of being all alone in that big house. He's very shocked and dismayed that Cadence is going and that she found her own apartment and figured out her own life. As she's leaving, he chases her down, but obviously she she has to go. And he asks for her number to keep in touch, but she doesn't have a number yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's confused that he wanted to keep in touch. I think she got the impression that Chance did not like her anymore, so she was leaving. And then Chance just is now all alone. You have this line where he says, the black hole in my chest began to suck at me again. The drowning sensation interrupted by a polite cough. So he's not 100% alone. Solomon is there. Mm -hmm. But I love that feeling of after you've had such an adventure, and not that this is a fun adventure for them, but an adventure with a, a group of people and then now it's time to go home and it just feels so sad. Yeah. It's like that last day of summer camp feeling of like, oh... It's over. Yeah. Yeah. Like life has to continue 
And it's like, oh, okay. Sure. It reminds me of the end of The Lord of the Rings where Sam is home with his family and he sits down in the chair and just goes, well, I'm back. Yeah. And you're just like, there's that sense of longing. Right? Yeah. Uh, but now we get a little tidbit of information that the tapping that we were wondering about the whole time. Yes. Cadence's finger tapping habits. It's a sign of affection. It's like a animanecron thing since they're not as vocally or face emotion mm-hmm. oriented. I don't know how to describe that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love our notes for oh, that. Oh, yeah. Our, our final bullet point for the whole story is Chance is all hot and bothered. (laughs) (laughs) I actually really liked that you did not have Chance and Cadence get together physically and romantically. It's a pretty big pet peeve of mine, especially in fantasy, because obviously we read a lot of fantasy, Mm -hmm. is that there's shoehorned romances all over the place right now in popular fantasy books, and I'm getting kind of tired of it. I feel like their romance obviously made sense with the story and there was a lot of buildup and tension the whole time. So I think it could have gone either way here and been equally as successful. But I think just from a female perspective, I was pleased that Cadence rejected Chance. Yeah. And let that be a door for the future. But I mean, I don't know if that's what you wanted yeah, people to, absolutely. to get out of it. Yeah. Or- <laughs> um, but I, I, I felt like it was very, I just felt like it was more realistic. Which I know is weird to say this is a sci-fi murder mystery. Like realism really shouldn't enter into a lot of it. <laughs> um, I think the like human element though, that felt very realistic to yeah, me. Yeah, that's like, you know, she met him like all of I think like a month ago in the timeline of the book, and they had this grand adventure or ordeal, depending on how you want to view it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're destined to be together or you know necessarily in love with each other like she still has a life that she has to figure out like she's been going through her own stuff just as chance has been going through his and it just didn't feel right i did write an ending where they where they ended up together it just felt so forced like you were saying where it's like it just felt like i was kind of being like now now kiss now kiss (laughs) it's like no they cadence wouldn't and it felt wrong to push chance that far that fast because i feel like he still has some reflecting to do after everything that he's gone through they went through such a tough thing and i know especially in hollywood plots in particular when people go through these like dangerous times there's always like the kiss at the very end and i don't think that that's very realistic for real life no especially because the dangerous thing that they went through is chance's father was brutally murdered so he's probably feeling kind of weird and Cadence just fled like a war-torn home so she's probably feeling weird yeah like they both need their space and I think that's totally okay yeah I definitely wanted to kind of represent that where it's like yeah it's not like they're hate each other and they're never gonna see each other again probably I don't know read the second book (laughs) but I just wanted it to have that open-end feel life will continue as life always does no matter what horrible or great thing happens to you, life goes on. I I, liked it. Yeah, I feel like definitely achieved where you just feel like, all right, what comes next? Yeah. And I liked that. It definitely was satisfying. I think it worked well, too, because the way murder mysteries are usually set up, and I don't know if yours is going to be the same, but like in a series, the detective is usually the recurring character, and then the cast of characters is usually fairly different. Mm -hmm. There's maybe one or two people that, come back here and there but if her 
Endgame here was like now being romantically involved with Chance, I feel like that would pivot away from future mystery adventures. Yeah. I don't know if you can tell us, but do any of the other characters come back in the future books or is yeah. it just Cadence? So Cadence, obviously, the Cadence Tree Mystery Series, she comes back. And Chance does appear in every book. He is oh. he is my Watson. So he continues ah, to chronicle Cadence's adventures. Yeah, so there's time for them to get together later. There's time for them to get together later. I don't mind saying that Henry does reappear because he has oh, become yay. a fan favorite. People just love that boy. I don't... I, they really like Henry. <laughs> He's just a good pal. He's just a good guy. And people are like, I love Henry. Like That was that was like the number one <laughs> comment I got back from like all my beta readers before I hit publish on this first book. And it's something that I hear all the time whenever I do like signings and stuff. People are like, so Henry... You're not going to kill Henry, are you? Henry's going to be okay? And I'm like, yeah, Henry's fine, guys. Henry's good. Aww. He's just doing his thing. Like, <laughs> everyone wants, everyone's team Henry. And I'm like, cool, cool. So Henry will continue to pop in and out. As he would, he's Chance's best friend. I hope he's like their, I don't even know what the word is for it. Like their scientist friend where they like bring a piece of evidence to him. And he's like, aha, let me look at it in my lab. Yeah, <laughs> so, hmm, I, shall, I shall dissect it further. Thank you feel like he could fill that role quite well. And yeah. by lab, I mean, obviously, the Hales Shed, duh. <laughs> yeah. Back to the secret lab. <laughs> we just had like a couple final, final questions <laughs> for like the whole of everything. One being, did you have a favorite part or line in your book that you were most proud of? Oh, that's a really good question. It's probably because you just mentioned it, but like favorite line probably Vicky's tell-off in the end. I did really enjoy writing that little dialogue exchange. That was really fun. (laughs) So good. The part that was most satisfying to write, I will say, is the moment when Chance realizes that Cadence is an Ammonekron in the beginning of the book. Oh. I rewrote that scene a lot, but that was one of the first scenes that I ended up writing. I don't write in sequence. I don't write like from beginning to end. I kind of write whatever scenes okay. I feel like as they move me, which can sometimes be annoying when I have to then go back and write scenes that I don't feel like writing. But that was one of the first scenes that I actually ended up writing down was that moment when Chance realizes that Keynes is an animanecron. And I reworked it a lot and it, it ended up very different from the first draft, but I really enjoyed the work on it. I felt like it was really important and I really like how it turned out. I thought that was a really pivotal scene too, like mm-hmm. for character development. I really like how it played out. It felt very realistic and it like hurt to watch the characters behave in that way, in like a good way as a reader. Yeah. You're like, no, no, I know you can be better. Yeah, yeah. the shock was real. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, interesting that like you had to rewrite it so many times, but I think it came out really, really well. Yeah. Another question. Mm-hmm. For your ending, because I know people say endings are the hardest to write. You just said that you write out of order. Uh How did you feel about like your final lines of your book? Like, was that something that's tough for you? And same with like the very first lines. Yes. So it's funny. The final lines of my books, I actually find generally pretty easy. I tend to know by the time I get to that point of writing the ending, which is usually the last or last few things I write because I need to figure out how everything else is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. I kind of know what tone I want to strike, how I want to leave people feeling. And so the last line is usually not too difficult for me to craft. Wow. 
the first lines though horrible horrible <laughs> so hard <sighs> i go back and i rewrite this one dotty i must have rewritten the first chapter i would not hesitate to say like 20 times wow probably starting it in like five different places I remember there was a whole other character in the first chapter that ended up getting completely written out. I had Chance actually in bed with someone, with a woman. And I was like, you know what? She doesn't oh. need to be there. I don't need her there. She's gone. Goodbye. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> and, and I was like, nope. Yeah. And then there was like a whole swaths of things that I ended up cutting out. That addition to the beginning where I actually have that whole bit about people aren't really human until they understand death. That's how the book starts, yeah. is that kind of internal monologue of chances. That was a fairly late addition to the first chapter. I didn't come up with that until I was almost ready to publish. Oh, wow. When I just realized, I was like, I can't just start this. I need some kind of emotional entry point beyond just raw action. So yeah, beginnings are very hard for me. Um, the beginning of the, the next book in the series, I thought I had it totally nailed the first time. I was like, yes, this is it. This is exactly how the book needs to open. <laughs> and I gave it to my editor. I gave it to her on like a Tuesday. And on Wednesday, she called me and was like, so you're opening. Um, yeah, we're going to trash all of that. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, are you oh, serious? She's goodness. like, yeah, like the first oh, two no. chapters, you just need to completely <laughs> rewrite because it's just wrong. It's wrong. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh. And she was right. Like, it turned out so much better in the rewrite. But. If I ever think I have an opening, that's when I know I'm in trouble because I generally don't. <laughs> well, that's why we have editors. They are very, very helpful. Yes. It never is fun to hear you need to rewrite something, but it always comes out better when you have those yeah. extra eyes on things. Speaking of your other books, do you want to give a little teaser for like the rest of the Cadence series? And you have you have other projects going on too, so... Tell everybody everything that you're doing. So everything, everything. I'm doing so much, you guys. <laughs> so the second book, if you enjoyed .exe, which I sincerely hope you did, yes. the second book in the series is called Rat, R-A-T, A Cadence Turing Mystery. And that one is a little bit more like Blade Runner meets Knives Out. Kind of has that vibe Ooh. to it. All right, let's go buy that as soon as we hang up this Zoom call. <laughs> uh, it explores a little bit more of Chance's and Cadence's growing relationship, some more of that path, but while also getting into a lot more world building. We get to know Aradius very well, and the city of Romer in particular, and some of the seedy back alleys and skullduggery that goes on in the city. Ooh. Yeah, we also just get to talk about the burgeoning Animanecron rights movement, which is always fun. And yeah, it's a really interesting book. I had quite a lot of fun writing it. So I highly recommend you check it out. The third Cadence Turing book will be coming out hopefully later this year. Keep an eye out on my socials for cover reveals and title reveals and all that kind of fun stuff. I do also have, if you are looking for something slightly different in flavor, uh, I have a um, paranormal romance coming out in August. I would be a liar if I told you that there was no mystery in it. There absolutely is. I can't write a book yes. without putting mystery in it. It seems to be impossible <laughs> for me. That mystery is about a pair of werewolves because I love werewolves. That's my other love. They're so cool. Werewolves are so fucking cool. <laughs> They're so <laughs> awesome. I love werewolves, man. 
Um, so it's a pair of werewolves who had a previous relationship that went very wrong, and they are thrust back together to hunt for a killer who is systematically picking off members of their pack in Seattle. Ooh. Yes. Uh, so investigation ensues around the city as they try to stay alive. That sounds fun. Yeah, that comes out Perhaps August my 22nd. my favorite love trope, enemies become lovers. Yes. <laughs> always the best fun fact we used to have a roommate who also loved werewolves oh, and yeah. he had a six foot tall very realistic like werewolf in his room and that thing scared the crap out of me all the time like i knew That's it was so there awesome. but it never failed to scare me <laughs> but, like the lights would always be off you're like who's there you're like, I see a figure. <laughs> he would hang his coats on it oh my god that's the best <laughs> so you're not alone in your werewolf love. Werewolves are so cool. I mean, they're so cool. They're so cool. They're, they're awesome. They are very cool. Yeah. Final, final question. Mm -hmm. How was it for you as an author watching us make predictions and guesses and having to talk to people actively like reading and reviewing your book throughout this whole experience? It was amazing. <laughs> I really enjoyed myself. I thought it would be fun, but... It was actually super satisfying too. Like it was really great to to go on this journey with y'all oh, and amazing. watch you guys kind of pick up on things that I'd hoped you would pick up on and 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 take things in different directions that I was like I never would have imagined that it could be read that way, but sure, yeah, why not? <laughs> and yeah, it was just awesome. I I had a thoroughly wonderful time. So, thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and being open to talking with us every week and, and making the time to laugh with us about our <laughs> our wild accusations <laughs> and our character thoughts and everything. Um, we had a lot of fun and it was definitely a little bit different of a style of book because we usually are in like the extreme fantasy mode. So it was awesome to have more murder mystery and a different style of story. I think it was really, really fun to be able to pick that apart together and make our guesses and scream and <laughs> squeal as we read the book and all that jazz. <laughs> yeah, this was so much fun. I, again, have said almost every episode, I'm not a huge mystery reader. Yeah. So I feel like this actually really reinvigorated me to want to read more mystery. And Yay. I've had a lot of fun. I think that I am a little bit more of a careful reader than I considered. My hypotheses definitely aren't the most accurate, but <laughs> I think I do enjoy speculating and mentally picking up on clues and just kind of going along for the ride. So thank you so much for sharing your book with me because I think it's really warmed me up to the genre again. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because mystery is, as I said, my favorite. I love it. I can't write a story that doesn't have a mystery in it. It's second to fantasy. <laughs> mm. I see the light. <laughs> no, I think I read those both equally. I read a lot of mystery. I have one downstairs right now, actually, that I just started. It's a, a clear ripoff on British Bake Off, but there's a murder in the baking tent. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. I just started it. <laughs> the murder weapon was the egg beater. <laughs> We don't know yet. <laughs> this court has a bit of a soggy bottom. I don't know. Oh! <laughs> oh. I hope they put that in there, because if not, that is a big old missed opportunity. <laughs> Was not a good bake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Did you have any final thoughts? Other than just from the bottom of my heart, and I really mean this, Robin, thank you so much for just reaching out to us. I thoroughly enjoyed this experience and I'm just so happy we got to do this. Yeah, thank you so much for for taking a chance on us. So, well, thank you. Same samezies. Thanks. I really <laughs> this has been very fun <laughs> and I'm so glad I get to to do this. Like this is why I write is to share my work with people and hopefully that they enjoy it and get something out of it. So, this has just been a really big rush for me and I really have had such a lovely time. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com, where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at fantasticbookspod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks. Golden Rise Media. Thank you.